Welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of September 10th, 2022. As always, from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. So, uh, you might have noticed that Roger Waters, former creative genius of Pink Floyd, is on tour, having played New York City's Madison Square Garden about a month ago. And um, all of his Seco fans, as I call them, were gaga. And his concerts have been quite overtly political, including a, a kind of a light show projecting onto the walls of the stadium the names of police brutality victims here in the United States. And, for instance, the Palestinian journalist Shireen Abu Akhla, who was killed by gunfire from Israeli forces on the West Bank back in May. Uh, and he's generally been making much of his support for Palestine and inevitably calling for the release of Julian Assange. And the problem is, as we pointed out in our last rant against Roger Waters back in June, is that by saying the right stuff about issues like Palestine and police abuse, he is legitimizing in the minds of his psycho fans the really sinister stuff, the genocide-abetting war propaganda that he is spewing about Ukraine Syria, and most recently, Taiwan. So, on August 6th, Roger was interviewed by CNN's Michael Smirkanish, and uh, it turned testy after Smirkanish dared to ask the great rock star some adversarial questions. CNN apparently edited out some of the testier parts, but an uncut version of the testy parts was offered by the Rock and Roll True Stories YouTube channel. You can Google it up. The clip begins with CNN pointing out that the uh, projected images at his concerts show the face of Donald Trump with the caption, War Criminal, which he certainly is most notably in the destruction of the Syrian city of Raqqa by aerial bombardment, but uh, goes on to uh, engage in the equivalism of also showing the image of Joe Biden with the caption, War Criminal, followed by the words, Just getting started, quote, unquote. Okay, now I am not closed to the notion that Joe Biden is a war criminal. There were two incidents during the evacuation from Kabul just about a year ago that may well amount to war crimes. The drone strike that killed 10 civilians, including seven children, apparently through a targeting error, but at least displaying reckless disregard for human life. And then there were the seemingly credible claims from a CNN investigation that some of the 170 Afghan civilians 
killed in the suicide attack at the Kabul airport may have actually been killed by U.S. troops firing into the crowd. These incidents certainly warrant international investigation and possible criminal charges against Biden and or those under his command. Okay, but Roger Waters doesn't mention any of that. And here is where we get into major beef with old Raj. Questioned by Smirkanish about these images showing both Trump and Biden as war criminals, he accuses Biden of being a war criminal for, quote, fueling the fire in the Ukraine, end quote, saying that it is a huge crime, quote, unquote. Very telling that he actually says the Ukraine, as if it were a region of the Russian Empire and not an independent country, extremely insulting to the Ukrainians. But then he goes on to say, quote, why won't the United States of America encourage whatever his name is, the President Zelensky, to negotiate, end quote. Yeah, whatever his name is, quote unquote, he actually said that. Who okay. Well, fact check. Zelensky did, in fact, open peace talks with Russia just days after Russia invaded at the end of February. Even as Russia was carrying out an illegal war of aggression on Ukrainian territory, and engaging in all of this exterminationist rhetoric about Ukraine and Ukrainians. And even though Russia's demands were basically for limits on Ukrainian sovereignty, the ceding of territory in Crimea and the Donbass, and accepting a Russian veto on what alliances Ukraine can join. But Zelensky offered the possibility of Ukraine not seeking to join NATO if the Western powers would make the same security guarantees to Ukraine as to the NATO members, but without Ukraine actually joining the alliance and without the stationing of NATO forces in its territory. Russia did not go for this. And Zelensky broke the talks off after the Bukha massacre was revealed in April, accusing Russia of genocide. And finally, just a few days ago, on August 22nd, okay, after the Roger Waters interview, Gennady Gatilov, Russia's ambassador to the United Nations, told the press that he does not see any imminent possibility for a diplomatic solution. The Russian guy said that, not the Ukrainian guy. So uh, you want Ukraine to negotiate? Maybe like, don't commit genocide in Ukraine. Hey, just a thought. So who was responsible for the breakdown in negotiations here? And who actually went the extra mile in a bid for peace, despite the fact that his country was being overrun? Roger Waters has everything 100% backwards. In fact, talks resumed in Istanbul in July on arranging for grain shipments out of Ukraine's Black Sea ports, which happily met with some success. But uh, Roger goes on to say, quote, somebody whispered in his ear, meaning Zelensky, or somehow changed his mind about making peace in the Donbass, making peace with their Russian neighbors and obviating the need for this horrific, horrendous war, end quote. 
So portraying Zelensky as a puppet and simply reversing the aggressor and the transgressed upon. And Smirkanish quite rightly replied, quote, but you're blaming the party that got invaded. Come on, you've got it reversed, end quote, which is exactly the case. Thank you very much. Waters also invokes in his ramblings the Minsk Accords, the earlier deals to de-escalate the Donbass crisis over the past years, and accuses Ukraine of having broken them. Fact check! The first Minsk Accord of September 2014 called for a ceasefire with an eye, at least, toward formal talks over the status of the Donbass. It was shortly followed by ceasefire violations by both sides on the ground. And finally, it was the Donetsk People's Republic, quote-unquote, that is, one of the Russian-backed separatist entities, which declared the agreements dead in January 2015. Oops! And that was after November 2014 elections were held in the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics in violation of the accord. Then there was Minsk II, February 2015, which less ambitiously called for pulling back heavy weapons from the front line. In August 2016, the separatist forces mounted numerous attacks against the Ukrainian forces with weapons barred under Minsk II, and that was that. This is all a matter of public record. You can Google it up. Roger Waters goes on to say that the war, quote, is really about NATO pushing right up to the Russian border which they promised they wouldn't do when Gorbachev negotiated the withdrawal of the USSR from all of Eastern Europe, end quote. Uh, no. That happened in 2004. NATO reached the Russian border in 2004, with the Baltic republics joining the alliance. And Ukraine was still years away from joining NATO when the war was launched this February. So it's obvious that that's not what the war was about. And no, there never was any such formal promise to Gorbachev, as we documented in our podcast of January 29th, 2022. And if Russian war aims really fundamentally had to do with security concerns, why are they engaging in all of this exterminationist rhetoric about destroying Ukraine as a political entity? which has been heard over and over again from Russian state media, and punishing the Ukrainian population. Their words, not mine. Okay, then the conversation turns to Taiwan and gets worse still. Waters condescendingly tells Smirkanish to read a bit more, quote-unquote, and ask what the United States would do if China were, quote, putting nuclear-armed missiles into Mexico and Canada, unquote. Wait, hold the phone. Are you really implying that the United States has nuclear weapons in Taiwan? Because that's most certainly not the case. They did back at the height of the Cold War, but they were removed in the early 1970s before the U.S. switched its diplomatic recognition to Beijing. But this is a small point compared to what comes next. 
Waters then says this about China, quote, they're not encircling Taiwan. Taiwan is part of China, and that's been absolutely accepted by the whole of the international community since 1948. And if you don't know that you're not reading enough, go and read about it, end quote. That's what sounded to me slapping my forehead. Staggeringly ignorant. And his arrogance towards Smirkanish indicates what a total ass he is. First of all, so much error to unpack here, but first of all, the year in question is not 1948, it's 1949, the year of the communist takeover of mainland China, and Chiang Kai-shek and his Kuomintang regime fleeing to Taiwan, and the whole one China versus two China dilemma began. Mao Zedong's People's Republic of China on the mainland, and Chiang's Republic of China in Taiwan. And through 1971, the Republic of China in Taiwan held the United Nations seat for China, including on the Security Council. And most countries on Earth recognized the Republic of China in Taiwan as the legitimate government of China. Now, the People's Republic of China took over the UN seat in 1971, and the U.S. switched recognition to Beijing in 1979, followed by a flood of other countries. And it's very interesting that more countries began switching recognition as Taiwan became a democracy after the dictatorship of Chiang Kai-shek. Doesn't that say everything about the nature of power on this planet? Both Taiwan and China saw a pro-democracy upsurge in the late 1980s. In China, it was crushed with the Tiananmen Square massacre. In Taiwan, it was successful, and there was a democratic transition in Taiwan in the 1990s. Now, today, the Republic of China in Taiwan is recognized by only 13 UN member states. But Taiwan remains de facto independent, as it has been since 1949. And as long as there are those 13 holdouts, it is factually incorrect that, quote, Taiwan is part of China, meaning, as Waters obviously does, the People's Republic of China. And that's been absolutely accepted by the whole of the international community since 1948, unquote, or even 1949. <clears throat> And furthermore, there are several countries, including the United States, that recognize the People's Republic as the government of China, but still have political, if not officially diplomatic, relations with Taiwan, treating it as an autonomous entity and effectively as a sovereign state in all but name. And finally, there is a third position beyond the one China or two China dichotomy, the position of one China, one Taiwan, of Taiwan finally abandoning the legal fiction that it is a part of China, which is still hanging on like a relic from the Cold War, and becoming a de jure independent state. The ruling Democratic Progressive Party, DPP, of President Tsai Ing-wen, officially supports independence, although 
In practice, it means accepting the status quo of de facto independence as a compromise. Her government has not moved to actually declare independence, which would obviously be met with a bellicose response from Beijing. Now, a few things to be aware of that tend to get lost in the sauce. First, Taiwan has never, not for one day of its history, been under the rule of the People's Republic of China. And there is, in fact, a precedent for an independent Taiwan, the Republic of Formosa, a short-lived independent state that existed between the collapse of imperial Chinese rule in Taiwan in 1895 and the long Japanese occupation that began later that year. And if I may offer you a reading suggestion, Roger Waters, I direct you to the book Taiwan's 400-Year History, The Origins and Continuing Development of Taiwanese Society and People by Su Beng, the late revered grandfather figure for the independence movement in Taiwan, who rejected both the Kuomintang and communist position that Taiwan is a part of China, viewing Chinese rule over the island as another colonialism, like that of the Japanese and the Spanish and Dutch in earlier periods, a consciously anti-imperialist and socialist analysis of Taiwan's history. Go read that, Roger Waters. So the Taiwanese are still fighting for self-determination, which they have been denied since 1949 by the absurd One China fiction fighting for self-determination like many other peoples around the world, including the Palestinians. Roger, get it? But by now, he's getting ugly with Smirkanish, telling him, quote, you're believing your propaganda, your side's propaganda, end quote. Cast the beam from thine own eye, Roger. And it actually gets even worse from there, with Waters responding with bollocks, quote-unquote, to the notion that there are human rights abuses in China. Unbelievable. You are an arrogant, self-important, pompous fool, Roger Waters. You are in way over your head and need to STFU. Okay, a few other things to point out beyond this ugly interview. Roger Waters just had the unmitigated chutzpah to write a public letter on social media to the First Lady of Ukraine, Elena Zelenska, condescendingly lecturing her to influence her husband to end the war. Elena Zelenska tweeted back, quote, It is Russia which invaded Ukraine, destroys cities, and kills civilians. Ukrainians defend their land and their children's future. If we give up, we will not exist tomorrow. If Russia gives up, war will be over. Roger Waters, you'd better ask Russian Federation's president for peace, not Ukraine. End quote. Okay, in an August 9th interview with the inevitable Max Blumenthal... Roger Waters gripes that he saw a kid waving a Ukrainian flag at one of his concerts and said, quote, 
he might as well have been waving the swastika, end quote. So once again, Roger Waters has turned into exactly what he satirized in the Wall album back in 1979, a fascist rock star humiliating and demonizing his own fans. Remember the line? There's one in the spotlight. He don't look right to me. Get him up against the wall. Only now, perversely, it is being done in the name of anti-fascism. Another example of Putin's paradoxical fascist pseudo-anti-fascism, which Roger Waters has become a simple instrument of. Okay, we've noted before that Roger Waters has spoken out in support of the odious conspiracy theories about how the chemical attacks in Syria have been false flags. In May of 2019, Russian state media organ RT ran a story that got loads of hits airing such false flag speculation about the previous year's Duma chemical attack from Susan Sarandon, Pamela Anderson, and Roger Waters. Right, never mind Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, and the Arms Control Association. Let's see what those noted authorities, Susan Sarandon, Pamela Anderson, and Roger Waters have to say. And if you do a Google search for, quote, Duma chemical attack, unquote, more than half of what comes up is such revisionist propaganda. And Roger Waters generally is all over RT, where, in contrast to his little chat with CNN, we may assume that it is all very collegial between him and his interviewers. His celebrity is being gamed by the Kremlin to amplify their propaganda. He is a dupe and a pawn of the Russian war effort, and nothing but. And all of his good talk about the Palestinians and police abuse in the United States only serves to legitimize this perverse genocide-abetting propaganda that he is peddling. And finally, I will um, close by noting the uh, public acrimony between Waters and his former bandmate David Gilmore, who continues to produce under the name Pink Floyd. And there, what up to this point seemed like kind of petty sniping at each other, actually turns quite weighty and political. In April, when David Gilmore, under the banner of Pink Floyd, released a single explicitly in support of Ukraine, entitled, Hey, Hey, Rise Up, that samples Andrei Klevniuk, frontman of the Ukrainian rap outfit Boombox, with the proceeds going to humanitarian relief efforts. And it appears that Gilmore actually has family in Ukraine. So one would imagine that the whole question is a lot realer for him than it is for Waters. So my fellow Floyd fans from back in the day, I've got this to say. David Gilmore is right. Roger Waters is wrong. And Roger Waters has, in fact, become just another brick in the wall. That's my story. 
and I'm sticking to it. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org. Support us on Patreon. Join the Counter Vortex. Join the resistance and rant on you next time.